so here it is. Let's go into the cosmos. Good afternoon, everyone. It is game day in Cosmos country today as we welcome you to Into the Cosmos. I am E.J. Gar, and of course I am joined by Frank Lapa on the heels of the match tonight at Wake Med against the Carolina Railhawks. Frank, oh, how you doing today, man? I hope all is well out there in New England, man. What's happening? Yeah, all good. You know, it's a little different climate probably than Carolina, uh, Cary, North Carolina, specifically where the Cosmos would be. Yeah, certainly different down there, man. Yeah, I think we both wish we were down there today. It's uh, kind of cloudy and weird up here in New York and uh, out here in the New England area. But, uh, yeah, man, you know, this week is a cool week for us, Franco. You and I got to sit down with one of your good old friends, Mr. Peter Wilt. And, uh, man, he hung out with us yesterday for about a half hour or so to help us kind of sort out all this discussion surrounding the state of soccer in the United States. Of course, Franco, there's been so much chatter around the league and the web about the future of not only the NASL, but soccer in this entire country as a whole, Franco, and now hopefully Peter can help us sort some of this stuff out today. Yeah, Peter's really, I mean, he's got the perspective, and he's hes right up on top of things right now, too. So uh, perspective helps a lot. He's, he knows the history, and uh, he knows, you know, it'll help him. Uh, he'll get a lot of uh, information about what's going to happen, what to expect in the future here. Uh, it's a real transition time for uh, soccer in this country in the last few years, and it's really coming down now. NASL's in a transition period, and uh, we'll get some really good insight, I think, from Peter. Yeah, I mean, soccer as a whole is, is transitioning to a whole nother. We don't, we, you know, the future of soccer in this country, <laughs> Franco, there's, there's a lot of concerns. There's a lot of questions going forward here. Uh, you know, first, let, let's just turn our attention to the NASL table real quick. Of course, you see the Cosmos in first place at 31 points. And uh, in the 11, separated by only four points. And, uh, Edmonton and Miami, breathing right down their collars, man. Ottawa sits with Edmonton on 20 points. And Tampa, Rio, and Carolina into the midweek matches, 19 points apiece. Franco, this table is still wide open. I know, I, I'd be shocked if Minnesota fell apart. I know just a couple of weeks ago, we were talking about how we thought Minnesota might be the team that might be able to sneak in here. And all of a sudden, they fell apart, man. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I agree. I thought we, we. I thought Minnesota was one of the really consistent teams. It's uh, NASL is kind of it's a unique league, and uh, they've been in it for a while. They've had a team for a long time uh, before that, and Thunder, and there's some continuity. I think that really helps uh, in these situations where you can kind of just get through a few games. You know, you travel to Edmonton, you go to Puerto Rico. You, you know, even some uh, strange situations in Ottawa, some tough games here in Indy. Indy's a tough place to play, and Minnesota you know, has been able to get through. You know, I thought they were just one of the more consistent teams. So uh, that still might win out, but uh, everybody's starting to run out of time. Like we talked about before, I think you got to really make your points now. Uh, you know, you can't wait till the last even month of the season, maybe the last three weeks. You can't wait. And uh, the, I think the Cosmos got that sense of urgency, and uh, they've, been, they've been doing that. And I thought they really had it. They gave it a good shot with Edmonton. They needed to get those three points, but they only got one. Yeah, and you mentioned Indy 11, man, at home. Franco, um, let's let, let's discuss the Indy 11 versus Cosmo match this past weekend. <laughs> oh, boy, 3 nothing, man. And another big win for them, of course, after beating Miami the weekend before. I mean, that gives the spring champs 27 points and another heads-up result in their favor that could end up giving this Indy 11 team 
home field for both the semifinal game and the playoffs and for the final, Franco, which is uh, you mentioned that place. Yeah, how about 3-2 and two and 0 oh in the spring and 8-1 and 0 oh in the fall, Franco. They played 14 home games, and there is not a blemish on that loss column yet. The last place you want to go right now is in the 11 to go take them on, man. If they, if they secure home field and, and pass the Cosmos and, and get a, two home games in the playoffs, good luck, man. Uh, it's all theirs to have. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, I think, um, you know, I think you can pull off an upset, but you've got to really, really be on your game. Uh, that's the key, and I don't think the Cosmos are necessarily really on their game now. I think they were able to be resourceful and get, get a bunch of points there, but uh, I really didn't think they were going to go to Indy and win that game. I thought they needed to get a point, but the main thing is you've got to get your points at home. And uh, yeah. like you say, you know, if you get home field advantage in the playoffs, uh, Peter Will will talk about that. That's Peter Will's not right now, but he uh, helped start that, that project, and they're basically carrying on the momentum that they started that first year. I, I think he's going to tell us that that's the only team maybe in the history of soccer in this country to sell out, I think, like every home game, uh, you know, at least in, as, as uh, in their first season and maybe in their second. I'm not sure. But all that really yeah. helps. I mean, they've got all that home field advantage behind them. Yeah, and Peter Will still takes – Good bit of pride in that, man. If you can look over his Twitter feed, which he will give out to out, give out to us on the air later. Yeah, he loves that, man. He loves when Indy beats up on the Cosmos. You can just go up and down his Twitter feed, and every time they beat in the Cosmos, there's Peter Wilk going, yeah, baby, I love it. Yeah, oh, boy. <laughs> so, yeah, we're going to try and welcome him into the show if the best we can here. But uh, <laughs> Franco watching the game this weekend. Um, how'd that go for you, man? One World Sports and their affiliation with the Cosmos needs to go for so many reasons, Franco. I don't even know where to start here. I know, I, know you, you, I don't want you to be the big controversial guy. I'll, I'll be the guy who comes out here, Franco. Let, let, let's discuss this TV deal with One World Sports, Franco. Because being sports and the other carriers are leaving no chance to put a Cosmos game in their programming. And, Frank, did you enjoy the game this past weekend or did you even get to see that thing? Because I live in New York. You'd think the feed here would be pretty good, man. My feed was terrible. Sliding screens, audio off. I had three-second tilt. The next thing you know, you're watching somebody kick a ball and make a pass. And the next thing you know, you're watching the other team have the ball because you didn't even catch those five seconds of play. Franco, one World sports is an absolute disaster. I, 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 at the, I, I personally think the Cosmos are going to need to get away from one World sports if they're going to move forward and be a part of this whole NASL growth. I honestly do, man. I think one World sports is hurting. The, Frank, a 1973 RCA Victrola can put out a better picture than whatever the hell One World Sports is putting out there right now, man. And that's – you know what? You want to give me some help for saying that? Listen, I don't think One World Sports is, is the future for the Cosmos. That's all I got to say. Well, it's good, good uh, rant by EJ there. But, you know, you're not, not far off on it. I wasn't able to see the game either, so uh, Disaster. I, can't, I can't comment on the quality of the broadcast, but I'd definitely no. like to see a, little more, a lot more consistency. And look at the bar is pretty high now. Standards are dip, you know really really high in this country for for uh, producing soccer matches. You see what what other uh, networks are doing, and uh, uh, not everybody can keep up with that. Uh, and you know these new networks come in, uh, it's it's a struggle. There's a lot that goes into that. So let's hope that they can uh, get that straightened out. Yeah, real quick, man. I mean, there's only four games left on the road this year, and. Uh... And obviously one of them is tonight. And how are you going to be able to watch it if you can't even focus on the game? I mean, it's just, it gets so frustrating. After even 15 minutes of watching this, this screen slide away and all these little things going wrong during the broadcast, it, it's just a nightmare, man. It's not even fun to watch. 
And so that, that, that takes away from it, too. You wonder why attendance and why figures are down. Well, that kind of stuff factors into it, Frank. Oh, that, you got to fix this stuff, man. This is stuff that needs to be addressed as soon as the season is over because one of sports does not belong at the Cosmos. I, I'm sorry. That, that's my opinion. I don't think they can produce the product that the Cosmos need to put out there to move them into the future. And until they sort that out, that, that needs to be sorted out. That, that's that's my story. No, I'm sticking to it, man. That's it. <laughs> All right, Franco, you know, you and I, like I said, we talked to Peter Wilt this week, and he, he, he hung out with us for a good half hour, man. And that was pretty cool. I know he had, a, he had a, another uh, appearance to make right after our show. He's been pretty busy recently. You know, he's making appearances all over the place. And, you know, since that since this interview is uh, pretty long here, we definitely want to get that out here now so we can get back here in uh, the half-hour interview. So uh, please enjoy this now, and uh, Frank and I will be right back with you. Okay, Franco, well, this week we decided to bring in a special guest with all the chatter running around the Internet about the state of soccer in this country. So today we welcome Mr. Peter Wilt to the show, and we have plenty to discuss. So firstly, Peter, thank you so much for taking the time to hang out with us this week. How are you doing, my friend? Oh, fantastic. Good to be on the show. Thank you for having me, and uh, always great to talk to Frank. He's an old friend. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, Frank Oates, yeah, I, I, one of my favorite people too, man. I, I, when they told me Franco was going to be joining me doing these podcasts, I was like, really? That's very cool. <laughs> yeah, Frank is great, man. And, uh, of course, Peter, you know, we usually discuss uh, Cosmos players and coaches around here, but this week, Frank and I thought having you on our show is just perfect timing in regards to all this chatter surrounding the state of the beautiful game in the United States. Man, obviously, you're the former owner of the Chicago Fire, and you're, you're – oh, my God, man. Your bio extends way beyond that. Can you please at least <laughs> just throw everybody and throw our listeners, you know, a little bit about, about you so I don't have to sum up this massive bio? <laughs> <laughs> well, first of all, I was never the owner of the Chicago Fire, and, and thank goodness because uh, I don't think my pockets were deep enough. That was Phil Anschutz. He hired me in um, 1997 to launch the fire. I'd already been in um, the business for a decade then, and we had a bit of success. I brought in Bob Bradley and a great front office staff, and mm-hmm. we managed to win a few trophies, uh, three or four Open Cups, an MLS Cup, a Supporters' Shield with the Chicago Fire, and um, I went on to, to launch a few more teams. I think I've launched five teams in five professional American soccer leagues, the latest of which was Indy 11 in the North American Soccer League. Uh, we had some good success there. Um, in our first year, we became the first American pro soccer team to sell out every home game in our inaugural season. And in the, this past spring season, um, Indy 11 won the, uh, the, the NASL spring championship uh, in the fourth tiebreaker with the Cosmos by beating the Carolina, <laughs> as you well know, 4-1 to one in the last game of the year of the, the spring God. season. So I, I went out on a high note. That was a good way. And now yeah. I'm uh, in Chicago working on a few projects, including – uh, getting the Chicago North American Soccer League started, hopefully, for the 2018 season. Yeah, you and Jack Cummins are uh, certainly spearheading the Chicago project. Uh, tell us about your association with Club 9 Sports and how you guys are you know, trying to get all this to come to fruition. Yeah, well, Club 9 Sports is a real interesting agency. They um, uh, assist groups uh, across all sports uh, in um, capitalization of sports teams and, and in the case for me, working with uh, various soccer projects, um, looking for markets that uh, are ideal for a professional soccer startup. Um, it's, it's what I do. I start up soccer teams. And um, we're talking to a dozen or so markets uh, across the U.S. and Canada. 
that have a strong interest in putting teams in professional soccer, whether it's USL, NASL, MLS, or um, uh, NWSL. And uh, the, the time has never been better uh, in, in this country for starting professional soccer. I've been involved with it for three decades now, and this may be the first time I've ever seen it as a seller's market where uh, there are more groups wanting to buy soccer teams than there are soccer teams available. So it's an, ex- an exciting time that, that we're in. Yeah, for sure, man. And, uh, you know, Peter, I'm going to hit you with something. And, uh, man, I, I don't know how you're going to take this, but, but bear with me, man. <laughs> 1996, Peter. You know, MLS becomes the league for soccer in the United States. And let's be honest here, man. Had it not been for FIFA coming out and saying, hey, you guys want to host this World Cup, you're going to need to form a Division One soccer league. And obviously, uh, Peter, Doug Logan had no idea what he was getting into. I think all they really did was find 10 owners who could provide a football stadium and say, here, play your little soccer games and do what you have to do. The league lost millions of dollars. Uh, Peter, I, I really don't think a single soul actually thought out how to build soccer in the United States at that time, and they just put a product out there because they had to. Peter, do you not think this all needs to be readdressed? It's not like the history of soccer in America goes back hundreds of years here. We're talking about 20, 30 years of history. This all needs to be readdressed, Peter. Uh, maybe it's just my opinion. I don't know how other people feel about it. I think all of soccer, in this, everything in this country needs to be readdressed, Peter. Well, I think you're oversimplifying the um, the early days of Major League Soccer. I think, uh, first of all, the audience was much different than it was is today. There's a much more yeah. mature audience now, uh, especially in the young adult millennial uh, age group that really gets the sport and understands it. Uh, in the early days of Major League Soccer, it was mainly youth soccer audiences, and in, in select areas, some new Americans uh, audiences were supporting it, and some young adult millennial—well, not even millennial crowd at that time—but young adult crowds that were supporting it, specifically in, in D.C. and in Chicago. Uh, were able to take advantage of those uh, diverse audiences, and it was Doug Logan uh, had, in many ways, a very positive effect on Major League Soccer for that time period. I, I really believe he was the right man at the right time, and um, the, the the league needed a promoter at that time. It wasn't something that you just throw open the gates put uh, players on the field, and and fans were going to come. It had to be a manufactured audience in most of the cities. It was about uh, outbound calls, about group sales, discounts, promotions. Uh, It resulted in a high turnover. The average season ticket-based turnover in MLS in those early years, well, for the first decade, was about 33%, which meant in, in... uh, every three years you had to recreate your audience. And it was because that was not a passionate fan base. That changed over the last uh, uh, decade or so. And, you know, you call it MLS 2.0 or whatever, uh, and it coincided with the development of soccer uh, venues, soccer-specific venues. And it's a much better time we live in now uh, and I think Don Garber is the right man at the right time. He's been a, a huge benefit uh, to the sport in this country. Uh, you can say what you want about the um, single entity, but it uh, does have the advantage of managing growth. Um, you know, a 
prime example is how MLS has handled expansion. They, you know, maybe bending the truth every time they say how much further they're going to expand. But by doing that, they're creating a demand or creating scarcity. And using whatever demand there is is to drive up the value of the teams. And now when we're in a period where there legitimately is high demand, they're smart enough to hold back on um, on availability and uh, and see it, it the demand increase. So it's it's uh, they've done a good job. There's obviously the negatives that go with with single entity and a closed structure and the lack of uh, promotion and relegation. Um, but you know we could be on here for the next 90 minutes talking about that. Yeah. Yeah, no, no doubt about that. And uh, I mean, yeah, we can go on for hours about that here. <laughs> um, you know, let's get into the Cosmos a little bit here because obviously this is a uh, you know, Cosmos show. We have a lot to discuss. Um, stadium stuff, man. Now, obviously, you know, you see what the Cosmos are going through with the stadium, trying to do the $450 fairly funded stadium, and nothing is working out for the Cosmos at all. And I, I think it's obviously going to affect other teams who think, boy, if the Cosmos aren't going through all this trouble just to get a simple stadium put up, what are we going to have to go through to, to make this process happen? Do you think that, that you know, other teams see what the Cosmos go through and see it as a, as a bad thing? I think everyone recognizes that it's not what you just said. It's not a simple thing. I don't think anyone thinks getting a stadium developed is a simple thing. That's, that's oh, a no. ridiculous thing to say. It's, it's, a, it's a challenging thing. It's, it's, it's very difficult. And in a, a state like New York uh, that is so political, uh, it, it's not surprising to most people that it's it's difficult to to get it uh, approved, and um, you know it, it's been kind of the storyline of uh, venues throughout the country uh, that um, some of them succeed, some of them don't. Uh, there's been lessons learned. I think certainly uh, MLS has had some great examples of successes, especially. Um, in Portland, with the conversion of the baseball stadium to soccer and the location, the venues that are downtown are succeeding. Um, Minnesota's case is an, a great one. It's, uh, it's an example of uh, private groups, plural groups, pulling together to create, um, the, uh, to find the best location and get a stadium developed that will be the right size and be put up in the right location uh, for them. Um, you know, you've got other examples such as you know, Dallas and Chicago where creative uh, partnerships were developed to fund the stadium, but they ended up going in locations that are uh, much less than ideal for attracting the three demographics that are needed to make uh, Major League Soccer successful. Uh, so as time goes on, you, you, we learn lessons, and I certainly hope that um, the Cosmos uh, are learning lessons through their process, and uh, at the end we'll find success. D.C. United obviously has been trying to do this for almost 20 years, and they've been one of the best managed and owned organizations over those two decades, and they haven't had success though uh, they're on the brink of breaking ground and, and finally getting uh, what they need for success in uh, the district. True enough. All right. I know you and Franco want to go at it, so go ahead, Franco. Have some fun with Peter. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to say we kind of go back to uh, there was a time when in this country where the indoor leagues 
were probably the most competitive soccer being played, and it was a pretty high level, and Peter was uh, with the Chicago Power at the time, and I remember I think that's the first time I interviewed you because the Power won the national championship, and that actually meant something at that time when they, that league was pretty competitive. So, uh, uh, because there was, the outdoor leagues weren't so great, but there was a lot of good players around here at the time, and they were all indoors. So, yeah, you know, me, it was a dark. No, you're right, Frank. It was a dark ages of soccer and uh, dark ages of outdoor soccer in, in the U.S. And it's when everything went indoors. The North American Soccer League, the original one, um, folded after the Sting won the championship in 1984. Uh, and by the way, yesterday was the 35th anniversary of the first time the Sting won the championship in 1981. And I, um, I sent a congratulatory message to Sting owner Lee Stern yesterday, and it was great to hear back from him. Uh, on that anniversary, but then there was no major first division soccer from the end of '84 until MLS started 12 years later. So you had that decade where the best players in this country were playing uh, in indoors, and some some very good out um, European and Latin American players were playing indoors as well. Many of them, having come to play in the outdoor NESL, stayed to play in the MISL. And there was some great soccer and some great audience support of it. Uh, Cleveland and St. Louis and Baltimore in particular were packing joints in Chicago, too. Um, so it, the indoor kept the game going until it was ready uh, and had a platform uh, to go outdoors again with MLS in 96. Yeah, I remember even Milwaukee, too. Just Milwaukee, we had a great run there. When I started there in 87, we were playing in a tiny – 3,400-seat arena or auditorium, uh, averaging about 2,000 fans a game. And when I left four years later, we had moved to the Bradley Center, averaging over 9,000 fans a game. And then Keith Tozer came soon after that and started winning championships um, almost every year. So Milwaukee has a good heritage of indoor soccer, uh, as does Baltimore. And it's interesting that those are two of the cities right now that have no professional outdoor soccer. And I, I think they're both very viable candidates uh, for a lower division team. Yeah, that's what I wanted to talk to you about. Those, some of those, what are the prospects of NASL, in your opinion, now? Uh, there, there's going to be, it looks like, some dead weight there uh, where some teams might not make it. Yet there's these prospects, cities like Milwaukee, Baltimore, uh, Chicago, uh, San Francisco is coming in. What else is out? Mm -hmm. you know, what do you see for the uh, uh, future for the NASL? Yeah, I think it's a real interesting time right now. I think you're right. I think there's going to be some dead wood that's shed. But I think some of these teams are talking about will actually be retained by the league. From what I understand, there's some real optimism coming out of the uh, Board of Governors meetings uh, today and tomorrow. And I think there's also going to be uh, strong interest in expansion teams. I'd be surprised if there aren't um, at least one or two more added, maybe for the fall season in 2017, and certainly a, a handful more for 2018. Um, the, the interest is still very strong, and I, you know I could see 15 teams perhaps by 2018 and uh, that the league would continue to aim for their target of 20 teams by 2020. That's pretty ambitious, uh, and I, I get some of those uh, vibes uh, from other people in, in ASL. What, what also, so I want to ask you about that. 
who and you know what kind of caliber of investors uh, are you expecting to come in to make that work? Well, I think that's a great question, Frank, and I think you need a couple of things. You certainly need high net worth individuals or groups that can um, invest in and provide a good foundation. But perhaps more importantly, you need um, high caliber front offices. You, you need experienced people, sports executives that know what they're doing, uh, are well connected with their own markets, and uh, are able to build a community-oriented foundation from the bottom up that will give these new teams the strength they need. Because, frankly, the NASL, you know, the, the, the beauty and the ugliness of the NASL is that it's a decentralized league. You know, the, I think the average fan, or maybe not the average fan, but the hardcore fan likes the idea of a, a, a decentralized traditional franchise league where the strength is in the individual teams. But the weakness of that, at least to me, is that there isn't enough uh, support or resources uh, from the league that can help, especially with new franchises or new owners. And I, I think um, Fort Lauderdale in particular suffered from that, where these uh, international investors came in and they really didn't have the experience, the knowledge, uh, to be able to um, build the, the, the team from a business standpoint. And they tend to focus on the soccer end. And, you know, in Fort Lauderdale's case, they've, they've done a very good job on the field. Uh, but what they need is additional resources, whether it's um, internal or outsourced, that can help some of these uh, new teams get off to a good start. Pretty good, man. Pretty good, you know. I, I, Peter, I heard you talk in another interview about your uh, supporters' trust idea, and I, I think it sounds like there's something similar to we see uh, in Green Bay, where the Packers have that residence. And, you know, yeah, you know, and I happen to I happen to be a Green Bay Packer fan, so it resonates with me. But there's a couple of key differences from the Packers' example and what uh, we're looking to do in Chicago, is that in Green Bay the ownership is merely a certificate. It's a piece of paper you can frame and put up on your wall. It really doesn't come with any uh, voting rights or, or real equity. Um, and it's, it's a carryover from a, another era. Uh, but the government recently approved new crowdfunding measures through the Jobs Act that allow uh, true equity propositions uh, with voting rights for fans. And in Chicago, what we're looking at doing is developing a supporters' trust that would um, sell up to 3,000 shares for $500 a piece plus a season ticket. And they would have representation of their own board on the, the supporters' trust, and then that board would have one representative on the team's board, which would have voting rights um, like every other board member, uh, and would have actually more voting rights on certain issues that are important to fans. And that sort of buy-in, that sort of it makes the fans vested, and it gives them a true connection to the team so that they're not just attendees of games. They're actually owners of the team. And mm -hmm. one of the hard things with uh, building professional soccer in this country is we don't have the benefit of uh, intergenerational support. So you don't have 
people following a team because their fathers and their grandfathers or their mothers and their grandmothers supported the team. We need to find other ways to get fans vested in the local team. And, because this isn't the local team isn't going to be the best soccer they can find. They can find uh, better soccer on, on television or online, and that'll be uh, uh, cheaper. <laughs> they don't have yeah. to pay for it. So you have to find other reasons, and that reason will usually be because there's a local connection, that those athletes are representative of the community. Uh, And uh, something like building a supporter's trust into an ownership structure can go a long way in not only creating those emotional connections, but also providing some real guidance to management on how to build a team, how to operate the team in a way that is – yeah, you know, you're building a culture. You know, I was talking to the the folks at uh, San Francisco City FC, the uh, PDL team that's done such a good job out there, uh, building as an amateur team, and, and they're a member um, majority team um, with a, a supporters trust essentially running the team, and they've built a culture there that even though the play isn't the best on the field that you can find even in the own area they're getting a passionate support and that's uh, invaluable. How far are you looking to to San Francisco coming into this league? I mean, I think everyone's kind of anticipated this team, but, you know, get some decent support over there. California certainly, that's a great market over there. We know that. Even though Chivas didn't make it there and they're, they're, another team's going to be coming there. How, how, how well yeah. do you think San Francisco is going to do? Yeah, that's a different group than the one I was just referencing, but uh, they both are doing some really good things. The San Francisco Delta's NASL team uh, have some very good resources, some very knowledgeable leadership. Uh, Brian Helmick and Todd Donovan uh, I respect tremendously. I think they understand their market, the culture there. Uh, I think there's uh, a geography there that can be attracted to a well uh, built organization. I think they're uh, far enough from the earthquakes, um, psychically, if not geographically, that they can build their own fan base. Uh, and I'm very excited to see how this all plays out because they have some yeah. very good ideas, um, young leadership. They connect very well uh, to the potential audience there. Yeah. Um, you know, one, before I let you go, I wanna, you know, obviously Mexico has their Liga and the USA has MLS. But the prospects of this Canadian Premier League being formed, I mean, that could have a huge effect on the NASL and all the lower tiers as well with Canadian teams in them. Yeah, no, that's an interesting, interesting question. And I've actually been talking to several folks uh, throughout Canada that are interested uh, in, in uh, building that league. And I, I think it has good potential, uh, but they're going to struggle, I think, getting a critical mass of teams rowing in the same direction at the same time uh, in in order to to get that league off the ground. It's not an easy thing to do. And if you feel you need to get, let's say, eight teams in at the same time to launch a league, they may struggle on doing that in in the near term. Um, There may be um, some middle steps to get them there. Um, I wish them the best because I think – uh, Canadian soccer would improve if they can have their own dedicated league uh, that will serve uh, as development not only at the, the, the uh, 
the top level, but in the youth level that perhaps could be connected with it. Because there, there are certain markets, whether it's you know, Regina, Winnipeg, Calgary, Hamilton, uh, that um, in Ottawa and Edmonton that are you know, in the NASL, that if, if they're all working together, um, I think it can make the sport better in that country. If it's tied into an American league, whether it's USL or NASL, I think the added competition and resources can be a good thing. Uh, personally, I'd like to see them all working together, whether it's NASL in the Canadian league or USL in the Canadian league, uh, because I think that would give it uh, a bit of an umbilical cord to get off to a good start and maybe down the road later they could sever it and, and stand on their own. But personally, I think if they um, start off uh, in partnership with an existing league, it will minimize the risks and um, maximize the the upside in, in competition. Mm-hmm. Certainly, man. Uh, certainly. Frank, do you want to hit uh, Peter with one more question before we let him go? Well, yeah, it seems like, uh, you know, Peter's uh, um, optimistic and his numbers are good. Yeah. He's actually mm-hmm. very realistic in, in uh, everything he's done uh, in this country. So I think that says a lot about the NASL. Um, I guess my last question would be is that I am hearing that the uh, the league is actually even more ambitious than people can imagine and that yeah. there will be some top-level investors coming in here to uh, make this work, and you know there could be promotion relegation at some point. But um, NASL sort of wants to do it on a different model as MLS, and the investors that that NASL can attract are ones that really do have uh, a knowledge of soccer and a global view of this. Is that um, you know sort of on the right track, Peter? Yeah, I think there are some um, very high-end investors looking at the North American Soccer League, both domestic uh, investors and international investors that uh, uh, bring some of that uh, soccer knowledge and and relationships. Uh, I mean, you see the guys in Miami and what they're able to do. Uh, More of that uh, high net worth and high uh, power, I'll I'll say, um, investors it does a couple things. It has the opportunity to elevate the league uh, quickly uh, on and off the field. It can help with broadcast agreements, quality quality of play, quality of venues, all of that. Uh, but if not done carefully, it also has the chance to pull a league apart. And if you have some investors that aren't capable of keeping up with the new investment, um, it can string the league uh, along lines of haves and have-nots, and it's essentially what happened to the original North American Soccer League. So I think, you know, if when that happens, it needs to be done thoughtfully um, with perhaps certain protections put in place, whether that's long-term, uh, it's a salary cap uh, or, or some other model that uh, assures the stability of the, of the league. Um, I'm actually writing a long-form article on uh, promotion and relegation, which I'm, I'm sure will stir the pot again. Uh, but I, mm-hmm. I, I try taking an approach to it where it's uh, only talking somewhat about the arguments for and the arguments against, which are, are pretty well stated, but instead focuses on 
if it were going to go forward, how could it be done in a way uh, to to be successful, uh, successful for all parties, especially for um, Major League Soccer and the investors who have put the most into the sport in this country over, over the last 20 years. Uh, and with that, I'm just hoping to, to get a dialogue going in the direction of solutions rather than a, a dialogue that's not really a dialogue, but just a lot of um, hate tweets <laughs> about uh, <laughs> you're stupid, no, you're stupid. So um, <laughs> it, I, I still think it's a long shot that it will happen, um, but uh, I think it's worthy of discussion. Uh, the, the potential benefits are so massive that to ignore it, I think, is doing a disservice to the sport in this country. For sure. I heard you have an article on the expansion as well uh, on top of that article. I heard you mention both. Yeah, that one, I think that one's going to hit first and, and hopefully uh, by early next week. Good. Yeah, obviously keep an eye out for that. And uh, tell everybody where they can find you if, uh, on social media if they choose to. <laughs> I'm at, at PeterWilt1. Uh, that's on Twitter. And uh, people can always shoot me an email at peter at Chicago NASL. Dot com. Thanks for having me on, guys. Thanks, Peter. Thank you so much for your time. Have a good week, and uh, yeah, thank you again. You bet. That's awesome, Franco. That's awesome. I mean, it's to have Peter Wilk on the show. Man, we got a lot to discuss here. Uh, that's cool. I would have liked to have uh, still talked to him about some of the major markets. Of course, uh, you know, expanding into the major markets of New York, Chicago, and L.A., it's still pretty tough, man. Obviously, the MLS is really not going to, you know, be completely, you know, geared up to, to giving more another franchise in a city where there's already an MLS franchise. So that, then there's another complication there too. Yeah, I think, but I think Ilga Peters is the best guy to. Because I have to keep believe that there is room for uh, two teams, let's say in Chicago, like there's three teams in New York. I think there's probably room for two teams in the Boston area as well. Uh, yeah. L.A., probably, uh, San Francisco, that's what you're going to get with, uh, you know, the San Jose Earthquakes and then the San Francisco team coming into the NASL. So, yeah, I think uh, I think they're, they're finding a niche, you know, a little bit, bit of a niche there. I think he's also smart about controlling it because, look, at it, I know that some of the investors coming into NASL, that they're recruiting are really big-time guys. Uh, they can outspend anybody, and that includes all the NASL guys combined. Uh, they can do that. But uh, he's smart, in, and he points out that they, that could actually uh, be a detriment, though, if uh, they're allowed to, uh, you know, over to unbalance the league. So you've got to get that sort of that balance right. But the NASL is very ambitious, and uh, expansion is basically on the horizon. And it looks like the league's going to come out stronger after this. Uh, it's going to be a bit of a weeding out process, but the league could, could come out stronger here. I think everyone, not only the not only the Cosmos organization, but every organization in the North American Soccer League hopes that's the case, Frank. Oh, I, nobody wants to see this league fold. I mean, you know, after four years of uh, trying to build towards something, and granted, it's you know something a few years into it, but uh, you know, everybody still wants to see this thing succeed. And I think you know, you and I have discussed this promotion relegation uh, possible system up the road here. But, Franco, I, it's going to take a restructuring of all these leagues and all these teams. I mean, there can't be. You know, I, I know we have a, what, 80 teams down in the, in the lower tiers and then throw in the, the, you know, the 12 in the NASL and the 20 in MLS and all that, and, and it gets crazy. There are a lot of soccer teams in this country. 
Yeah, right. I think NWSL has like 90. Uh, I'm not into I'm sorry. Uh, it's like 90 teams, and USL has like 30. Whatever. So, yeah, so um, the, the pyramid is is there in theory. Uh, the only guys that are going to make this happen are the NASL guys, so I'll tell you the truth. Uh, and that's, uh, you know, Peter's going to be cautious about it, but he's thinking about it. He's putting plans out there. Um, mm-hmm. There's other guys, though, Ricardo Silva in Miami, and those guys will drive this thing because they believe in the long term. They have, they're planning this thing out 10 years from now, 30 years from now. Yeah. And in that mm-hmm. in that scenario, you're going to need to have these, these kind of uh, – quality controls, which is essentially what promotion relegation is in some form. So, you know, they're ready for it. They're not afraid of it. Uh, they want to see it happen. And the other thing is they have major connections to television. Um, Cosmos has had some problems with their games being seen. I, I, uh, we talked about that a little bit off the air. I, I wasn't even able to see the last game. These guys will solve those problems. They're not going to screw around here too much. Uh, you know, it's not like maybe the games will be on. They're going to really do it. And they'll also tie in this whole hemisphere, you know, this, this is a big, big project and we're just seeing the start of it. So uh, if uh, teams can't keep up, I guess one of the other things that you, is the, the, you're only as strong as your weakest link a lot of times in these leagues. So you don't want to have, and that's a strength of single entity. So you don't want to have teams bringing you down. And I think that's been a problem with NASL in uh, the last few months. So uh, once that shakes out, uh, these guys, are, you know, they, they've got some strong plans to really push this thing forward. And, uh, you know, the Cosmos are, you know, such a foundation part of the NASL, part of the identity that uh, it's really important for these guys to, to continue, uh, you know, being a big part of the discussion. But they, they need – the Cosmos have always needed the rest of the league to kind of keep up. And I think that's uh, in, in the, so sort of in the cards. That's going to come up now. Yeah, that's pretty much why I started with the whole 19 M- uh, 1996 and the MLS, you know, becomes a league. And they kind of really got, like, forced into it almost. And it's like, the, I, I just, I think the preparation could have been a lot different. I would have rather have waited them until 1998 and actually, like, you know, bring in a European influence and not just, you know, bringing in NFL guys to promote soccer. I mean, Don Garber was exclusively an NFL guy. Man. And then they bring him over to, to be the commissioner of MLS with no soccer experience. You know, and I know he's a marketing genius. I, I get what he did in the NFL, and now obviously the MLS is, is, is doing a float, and they're, they're doing fine over there, I guess, for now. But uh, no, that was why I addressed that comment to Peter Franco. I, I think it all should have taken a couple more years to really work out that you know how the tiers work, how what 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 cities belong in what tiers at first, and to start all just like you know, Frank, you and I you know talked about European football all the time, man. We know that all those things are structured so well. And yet here in America, nothing is structured right. And, and I really wish they'd readdress it. I, I, you know, I, I know exactly. Peter said to me, oh, well, it's not exactly that easy. I, I get it's not that easy. Don't you, did you think I was just going to say, yeah, let's just put it all aside and start over. Obviously, that's not that easy. But uh, at the same token, Franco, it needs to be readdressed. I think it all needs to be restructured. Uh, I'd hate to see all these teams just going to waste. All these, you know, all these organizations have already put two, three, five, ten years worth of effort into this. And now they have to fold because there's really nowhere left to go and nowhere else to grow. That's the problem I feel. Well, I think back in those days, uh, the, actually uh, getting the World Cup, having a league was actually a prerequisite, not a post-requisite. Uh, and the uh, U.S. Soccer Federation and everybody in this country failed to get the league going before the World Cup. But as you're pointing out, EJ, it would have been really tough to – make that work and we might have needed yeah. even more time but uh it really was part of
out of the contract. They, they actually had to do that. They were able to, to delay it until 96, and they probably weren't ready to do it even then. But, you know, yeah. <laughs> you get it, and that's, that's the deal. And I think, uh, you know, you can't really turn back the clock too much, but uh, yeah. time wasn't exactly right. But, uh, like, I think Peter's pointing out, Peter Wilk points out here really well that, that there's a, a, a sort of a quantum change has gone on in the last 10 years or so. So if you could have, like, delayed it a little bit, that would have been good because the first five years of the MLS uh, was a slow, steady uh, downgrowth, and the fleet mm-hmm. really did almost hold. But then it came back uh, thanks to some, some more investors, and Phil Anschutz, Bob Kraft, uh, uh, Lamar Hunt stayed with it. It kept it going, and I think the same thing is happening with the NASL now. Uh, Ricardo Silva, the Cosmos, some of these guys are going to keep this thing together, and they're going to mm-hmm. uh, kick it up a notch or two. But it's that five-year that's sort of like the MLS. There's a little bit of a parallel, sort of that five-year uh, crisis year, you know, where you got to get through that somehow. And uh, but, but I don't think you can turn back the clock too much. It was, it was a difficult time. It was almost impossible to – Imagine how how difficult it was in those days. So, uh, just to get the MLS going and, and keep it going, it was a, a real juggling act, and uh, nobody knew exactly, you know, what was going to happen the next day. Uh, so, it took a lot of faith and a lot of hard work on a lot of people's parts, and uh, a lot of lot of lot of faith. I mean, there were certain people out there that really believed that there was a soccer audience out there. There was enough talent in this country, and um, there was a, a vacuum that needed supply that needed to, there was a demand that needed to be supplied and they yeah. stayed with it and, and they've been proven right. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, Franco, it's the same token, man. There's, there's the future. You know, we can't turn back the clock, obviously, and we can't change what's been done. Uh, I, I got that. What can, you know, I, listen, man, uh, you know, I'm, I'm hanging out that uh, the Facebook page. What's up, Jesus? And how you doing, Seba? And, uh, yeah, you know, that just got a question asked to me, Franco. Do you think the Cosmos and the North American Soccer League are going to survive uh, the next five years? I mean, is, is this going to have what's going to have to happen to keep this league in sync, keep all these teams afloat? And 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 do you think that that, that this promotion relegation thing is is actually really a, a reality at any point, Franco? I, we're so I, I honestly think we're so far away from it still. I mean, this is I, I, and no one's actually really trying to make it happen. And and I, I think that's a little bit of a concern, Frank, man, because I think we all want it. All of us are so used to it from seeing it in Europe and all the other leagues. And yet here in America, like like I said, when they, when when this all started, they just threw ten teams out there and, and and put them in football fields and said go. And and I, I just I, man, I really think it should be all readjusted again. I, I know it's complicated. I know it's almost impossible to do. But, Frank, I, I really do think – do you think the Cosmos are going to survive this? Or, or is the NASL going to really survive all this? Because there's a real question about that. And I think it's a crisis time. And the leagues, teams, everybody slots go through these. And uh, if you do get through it, you come out stronger. And I think, that, I think that's what's going to happen. I think the NASL and the Cosmos are going to come out stronger in this. Uh, you know, look, at every, every team has its own problems. The Cosmos are the flagship. Uh, team in in NASL. They have to be uh, set standards, and I think they still do. Uh, the stadium thing, it's a unique thing to New York and certain big cities, but uh, that's a problem. But uh, I think on the field, uh, Cosmos set standards. Um, I think the way they do business has is, is, is been really good, so I think they're setting standards there too. Uh, I think the guys that were uh, behind the scenes a little bit, 
that have just come into this, Ricardo Silva in Miami and those guys, he's on the record. He wants this stuff to happen. He thinks that the future and the real uh, uh, way to max out or at least optimize uh, the tremendous potential uh, financial potential of soccer in this country is to have promotion relegation and to play hemispheric competitions. Uh, there's a huge amount of potential money coming in from television for that. If you can have the top clubs in Brazil and Argentina, even Mexico, playing against U.S. teams in competitions that mean something, uh, they want to challenge the Champions League in Europe. Uh, and to do that, you have to have all the, the things you have to do, basically what Europe does. You set up a real Champions League uh, throughout the hemisphere. You uh, have promotion relegation in your leagues. And uh, I think they're trying to do that. Uh, it's not going to happen right away, but I think their intentions are, are the right right things. And I think they're showing that, that the, the, the pot out there is, I mean, they're, they're just scratching. They're still scratching the surface. Look, MLS has a good business model, and they're doing really well. Uh, but uh, this this uh, whole professional soccer can generate a whole lot more money in this in this country and be a lot better and a lot better. And I think we're going to, the NASL is going to lead the way on that. Yeah, what do you think of what Peter Will's doing, man? I mean, obviously, you know, we want to thank him for coming on the show this week, and he's tremendous, man. But uh, man, I, I, what he's doing, he, he, man, <laughs> you know, he's almost trying to be the next Lamar Hunt, and I love that, man, because we need Lamar Hunt back. <laughs> he, you know, that, that, that's a name and a figure in sports, not only for football but for soccer too, man. Uh, you know, uh, we need the next Lamar Hunt to step up and come out and say, listen, this is what needs to be done in this country. Let's start doing this sooner than later because the next 10 years, think, of, ten, you know, the next, think about the next 10 years of soccer in this country, man. If all this stuff doesn't really kind of change soon, the interest might go back to where, you know, back, reverting back to what it was in the 70s, and nobody wants that because everybody wants to see this sport succeed here. I mean, I, with all, all the success of that, that, like you mentioned, Champions League and Europa League and our secondary league over there. Then they have all the cups like they do in our U.S. Open Cup format. <laughs> yeah, that's another little bit of a disaster. I, I, I'm not really thrilled with that whole layout either, man. I, I, I mean, that, I think that also needs to be addressed. I remember back in the day, Franco, it was a much simpler thing. Man. There were only, what, 12, 14 teams competing in that U.S. Open Cup, and now there's, what, 114 teams? Oh, oh man. I, I, you know, I, I think it's it's cool that they let these lower tier teams into that thing, and, and, it, and it's a cool little thing that they have going on here. But th- I still think that that could be readdressed as well, man. I, you know, like 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 even like they have in Italy, man. They have two different cups for the higher tier teams and for the lower tier teams. There there could easily be two cups in this country, man. I, I don't see why there couldn't be. What are you going to say? We don't have enough teams to do that? Yeah, okay. So, man, I, I'd love to see actually like maybe two cups because I don't think. One cup is enough, and I don't think the structure that they have in place now is the right way to kind of go forward with it all, Frank. Oh, how do you feel about that? Well, I think the foundation is there. You know how how that plays out. I'm not sure, but the foundation. You know, this is not none of this stuff's going to go away. It's going to just continue to grow. Uh, whether it's yeah. going to be the slow growth of MLS, sort of that plan with a single entity and cost controlled mm-hmm. and, and uh, you know our revenues shared, uh, or is it going to be a little bit uh, more accelerated growth, which is what the NASL wants to do. These guys are really ambitious. Uh, no, I, I think uh, the future is going to be sort of determined how some of this shakes out in the NASL. Um, see, see what happens there. I think you're. Uh, I think Peter's more of an organizational guy, and we never really had a, a really good guys like that in soccer before. 
because they just didn't have the, the league to do it. They didn't have the, the format to do it in. So Peter's going to do that. I think the sort of the uh, maybe uh, Phil Anschutz of this project would be Ricardo Silva in Miami. Uh, Phil Anschutz, you know, put – he was ambitious. He kept the league MLS together, and he also had the money to do it. And I think Ricardo Silva has the resources to do that and the ability to re- recruit uh, other investors. That's what uh, Phil Anschutz, Bob Kraft, Lamar Hunt did in the day. Uh, they also recruited a, a lot of investors. They saw those guys in and they said, yeah, well, we want to get in this too. And uh, once they proved that they could get past, again, that five-year sort of crisis here, a lot of other investors started jumping jumping in. And now their uh, supply uh, uh, is not even keeping up with demand. So uh, I think that's what's going to happen with the NASL. Yeah, that's true, man. Um, Ricardo Silva, I think that name has come up here about five times today, Franco. Uh, I I think it's time that maybe – I get our little PR person, Lisa, here up on uh, trying to track down Ricardo Silva and have him make an appearance on our show. What do you think of that? Yeah, Ricardo, I did a, a really uh, big interview with him with uh, for One World Sports, actually, on the website. So uh, uh, we probably should do a follow-up on that if One World Sports is interested in doing that. It would be a good idea. And then we can, we'd can like to get him on here, too. He, he has a lot to say. I mean, he, he's put all his ideas out there. He's ambitious, he's, he's organized, and he's got the experience and the capital to, to do this. So uh, I think a lot of people should probably be paying attention to him. Yeah, uh, I would hope so, man. I mean, if you're that important of a figure and you have that good of a plan going forward, I think everybody should be paying attention to what he has to say. And I'd like to sit there. Your, your post is over at One World Sports, huh? I didn't have to go and tell people where they can find that, Franco? Well, that was on the One World Sports uh, website, which um, – uh, let's see, you'd have to go into the archive. Put <laughs> one world sport, okay. probably keyword Ricardo Silva, you should be able to find it. Oh, okay, good. All right, good. Yeah, I want to see that now. Um, of course, man, you've been doing this for quite some time yourself, Franco. <laughs> pretty cool idea. You, you know, you're, you're, uh, you're, your resume is pretty pretty decent there, Franco, man. I, I love having you on the show, especially even when he said, you know, Franco is one of my good old friends. Franco, man, I, I, loved, I loved our relationship on this show. I, I loved the last two years of being with you here. And, uh, man, <laughs> just great to have you. I, 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 all I really want to say to you, man. I, I, you're one of the most respected people out there. And I, 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 I want to thank you for hanging out and being a part of this show as well, man. I, I appreciate you being Well, the thing is, EJ, we are, I'm trying to get down there for a game, but I think everybody should be aware that it's more important that EJ gets to the Cosmos games than if I do. <laughs> uh, I'll be there. But EJ is the... He, he's, uh, you know, he's right there on the field. He sees a lot of stuff, and uh, he brings some uh, positive vibes to the to the cosmos. That's that's all lucky stuff, man. I mean, I posted a big thread about that on the NASL discussion group. I ended up taking it down because uh, it's just, uh, yeah. I mean, I, you know, just just to bring it up, I guess Franco's brought it up a few times for anybody out there. Yeah, I, I, I've been to 24 Cosmos games, and 16 of them at Stewart Stadium, and the Cosmos are. 16 and 0 when I go to Kashiwa Stadium and show up there, and I was really just reflecting on the stadium, man. I mean, I, I understand, you know, we're, we're all going to miss it kind of because I understand that obviously this might be the final two games uh, at, at Short Stadium that we might see here, and then, and then frankly, we have to get into that too because you know MCU Park, I mean MCU Park, and, 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 and uh, you know what they're going to do at Brooklyn. Is that really a reality? And is that the best answer for the Cosmos, Franco? I think so many people out there are going to see that the Cosmos, you know, in, in the big news all globally, I'm not just talking about here in America, Franco. I'm talking about, like, you know, abroad, 
when they see that the Cosmos have decided to move into a minor league baseball stadium. Oh, Franco, I just don't think that's going to go over very well with a lot of people, uh, you know, especially with that deal that's still out there pending in Elmont, which which we all know needs to be, you know, rethought and, and readdressed. But, Franco, uh, you know, I think a lot of people are kind of da- – I'm personally a little bit down on, on the movement to MCU Park. <laughs> I don't want to see the Cosmos in a minor league baseball stadium. That's just not what this organization needs. I know now they're just trying to you know, figure out where the best place is until they find a home. Is MCU Park the best place for the Cosmos, Frank? Yeah, probably not. I mean, some people went there. I think you, you you went to those games, and they had a pretty positive experience. But you know that that park was built. I'm pretty sure, and that team was uh, um, established with uh, government subsidies too. So, uh, you know, I think that's probably a bad idea. But in that sense, uh, you know, just to be fair, I think if the Cosmos got a little bit of government help, it doesn't have to be in the form of a subsidy. Uh, <clears throat> somebody political, political in Elmont, I think that would be a pretty good solution. Yeah, the Elmont thing I think is is really just under the water now. I mean, I mean we're so far into it now, and 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 so far away from any kind of resolution. So what? You know, I, I think obviously someone's going to have to take the time to start surveying. I mean, Franco, within thirty miles of the heart of New York City is more land than you can shake a stick at. That's sitting there waiting for something to be built. I, I, wherever it may be, we, you know, you and I have gotten, you know, I've sent you the emails and you and I have seen some of the proposals that, that, you know, I don't want to mention their names, but, you know, you and I know who these people are who are submitting these things. And some of those proposals are absolutely phenomenal, Franco. Why, why, why someone hasn't actually paid attention to, to what you, you know, what you and I know that we're talking about here. <laughs> My God, that is beautiful stuff. Like I got Jason to New York City to the Yankee Stadium where the, where the old place was taken down. There's a spot over there. There's a spot in the office absolutely dying. For something new to be put there, I, I you know I know Yonkers isn't exactly you know seen as, as as a big place right now because you know Yonkers is kind of going a little bit backwards. But Frank, uh, there's so much land here and so much place that can be developed. I, I really wish that the Cosmos would just really start surveying this whole 30 mile radius and saying, here's our spot, here's another spot, and here's a third spot. Which one of you wants to let us let us, Franco? They're not asking to, to you know to, for you to pay for it. They're asking you to let us build a stadium because we already have, I'm saying we, I'm talking for the Cosmos. We already have our privately funded person who wants to come in here and build this for you. You need to do nothing but watch this thing be erected and take advantage of all that comes of it. And no one's jumping up saying, yeah, we need this in our community. That's, that's what's shocking to me, Franco, because this is going to provide a ton of jobs in New York for people who need them. And, uh, you know, it's not just about soccer, Franco. It goes way beyond that. You know that. Yeah, it's a little – I mean, look, New York City FC is having similar problems, too. I mean, they're getting 20K a game, I'm pretty sure, and they, they can't build a stadium. So uh, there's got to be some uh, civic will if these things happen uh, because, like I say, I think that the Brooklyn Stadium was built. That was subsidized uh, with uh, municipal funds. Uh, there's no reason that – that uh, these stadiums can't be built for the Cosmos and even NYCFC, not necessarily with with, with government with with municipal funds, but uh, with just having the the will of the people and uh, politicians to get these things done because it makes sense. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I guess we'll see what happens here soon enough. I think we all want to see change. 
for the better. I mean, that's just really all we want. I go, I just, I think everybody wants to continue to see soccer go in this country. Amid all the turmoil, I, I, it's just, I, I still think that there's so much room for growth here. Uh, obviously, this country is huge. In the Canadian Premier League, that, that that's kind of scary too, Franco. If all these teams leave that are in the MLS and in the ASL and lower tiers, and they're gone, that that's going to change the dynamic of soccer in this country too. Because you know, I mean, obviously they need a league up there as well. The, the other two leagues I know that they've had up there before haven't really done all that well. But now they're, 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 it's a little bit different because Vancouver's playing pretty well. I mean, obviously, you know, we know about the Montreal's, and we know about all the stuff that goes up there with Toronto and. Yeah, they have some decent teams up there. Do you, do you think the forming of that Canadian League is going to actually end up hurting all the soccer here in our country, too? Yeah, I think it's a little ways off. I think Peter will point out, I think they need to have eight teams going to be started mm-hmm. out, and they might not be able to get that uh, critical mass going just yet. So, But, again, uh, I think what the NASL is saying, look at dead weight. If you don't want to be in the league, uh, don't be in the league, and oh. we'll get guys that do want to be in the league. Yeah, I like that attitude, man. I, I love that. I, hey, listen, you know, we, we, we want to just, I think the NASL should obviously survive. I, I, you know, a lot of people are wondering if it's even going to survive past this year. It's going to survive past this year, people. You know, next year there's going to be the North American Cycle League, whether there's eight teams or 12 teams or however they end up figuring this out. It'll still be around. But, uh, Franco, man, great discussions there. There's so much out there that really needs to be addressed, and we haven't even scratched the surface yet. <laughs> you know, I mean, like, uh, hopefully we can we, we can track down Ricardo Silva and get, it, uh, get an interview with him and, uh, you know, expand on this discussion a little bit more up the road here. That'd be great. Yeah, it'd be great. I mean, uh, yeah, there's all sorts of possibilities out there. I think there's a, you know, he'll tell you, I think there are, and Peter will tell you, there's a lot of investors that want to get into NASL. So uh, I think, you know, they're, they're welcome to come in and, you know, if they're the right guys. Uh, apparently there's a, there's a lot of them. So I think the league will grow. It'll be, like you say, I don't really know how many teams. Uh, they're talking 15 by 2018 or 17, whatever that is. So, you know, that's that's a strong league if you've got that many teams. Yeah, uh, we can only hope so. But, uh, all right, you know, hey, Franco, let's get out of here. Everybody, of course, thanks for taking the time to tune in to us this week. Uh, you know, I hope some of the comments that uh, <laughs> I threw out there, personally, at least towards uh, one more sports, I, you know, I just, I just really want to see that sorted out because a lot of the Cosmos teams don't even get to enjoy the games. Just like me, Franco and I, uh, we both just want to sit here and enjoy the games if we can't make it to them. And if you can't see them, it really just is frustrating. So, uh, you know, uh, I guess I'll apologize for any of that because it's uh, just on my end, it's frustrating because we always want to watch Cosmos games and uh, enjoy the games. All right, Cos- you know, Cosmos fans, uh, you know, big, big, big match tonight. Uh, boy, Car- you know, Frank, we didn't even touch on that. Uh, Carolinas, we know, is struggling too. And maybe we should touch on that quick just before we go here because this is a big match tonight. And uh, Cosmos are actually favored. To walk into Carolina and beat them tonight uh, by the line setters, and I, I mean, I think everyone's going to expect that. I, I think goals might be expected here tonight as well. Carolina has really done a poor job throwing people down lately, and they need to get back into this chase somehow, which you know, I don't know if they feel like they're out of it yet. I assume they can't because obviously with you know six, six seven games remaining, you know, Frank, there's still you know, how many points, 24, 21 points pending out there for anybody to grab. So it's not over yet. This is going to be an interesting match tonight. I assume Carolina's going to give the Cosmos all they can handle them. The Railhawks have like a three-game winning streak at home, so it's, it's a little odd they're not favored to win this game. But I think the reason is I think the Cosmos are a team that's a very technical team that likes to play the, play the ball. And they're really set up to play on a nice grass field, which is what you have at Wake Med Park uh, in, in Cary, North Carolina. That's the kind of field the Cosmos should be playing on all the time. I think it would be mm-hmm. really sure some good football. Uh, 
there. And I think they're I, – I, I favor them, too, just because of that. I think they're a technical team that can – I think they'll thrive on it. But uh, I'm, I'm, I'm still a little surprised that Carolina is not favored since they, they do have a winning streak at home going on. Yeah, they do. Yeah, Cosmos are favorite. Uh, I mean, we'll see what happens tonight. Of course, you know, good luck to the Cosmos, Carolina. Just hope everybody stays healthy and puts on a good performance, of course. And uh, All right, Franco, we're out of here. Of course, uh, yeah, again, everybody, thanks a lot for tuning in this week, and uh, we'll catch you right here next week on Into the Cosmos. Take care, everybody. Have a good weekend.